0: Good morning, everyone. It's time to find your seat again. Luckily, we have some time after church where you can hang out with others and continue your conversations while there is really nice food. So keep those thoughts. Well, good morning again. Uh, My name is Adri. I am one of the people on the speaking team and, um, I'm, I'm just noticing I'm a little loud. Is that okay if I could go a little, a little down? That's a, little, a bit much echo for me. Okay, this is better for me. Uh, so my name is Adri. I'm on the speaking team. That's why you once in a while see me here if Pastor Jamie or Pastor Heidi aren't speaking. And, um, I, in my day-to-day life, I work for University Christian Fellowship, just as Annie. uh, but I work with students who study abroad, and helping students to think when they go abroad, to think of themselves as being sent to the nations. Like, what does that look like, to be missional wherever you go? So that's what I do in my day-to-day life, uh, but today I get some time to um, go with you and look at one of the parables. We're in a series of looking at Jesus's parables, and there's so much to learn from the from the parables that Jesus has taught. And so um, today we're looking at the parable that's sometimes called the the parable of the great banquet, and I think it's very fitting as afterwards, right, we'll all be going and eating food together and have a party, so at, at, it's directly, you can apply everything you learn today directly after church. Um, so let me just start reading, we'll get the text up there, it's Luke 14, so if you want to find a Bible, there are some Bibles on, um, in the pews as well, call them pews, I guess they're movie theater seats. Um, Uh, or you just pull up your, your Bible on your phone. It's Luke 14, and we'll start reading in verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. "'Please have me excused.' And another said, "'I've bought five yoke of oxen, "'and go, I go to examine them. "'Please have me excused.' And another said, "'I've married a wife, "'and therefore I cannot come.' So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, "'Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city "'and bring in the poor and the crippled "'and the blind and the lame.' And the servant said, Sir, what you commended has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So let me pray as we continue. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. And we believe your word to be alive, and we believe that your word, um, that your Holy Spirit is among us, and still your word has, has has power. And so I pray as as I speak and as we look at this text that your word will go among us with power, and that we get transformed in the process of it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So in this passage, Jesus starts talking about a great banquet. Uh, There is actually a similar um, parable told by Jesus in Matthew where we see uh, that he talks about a wedding feast. And probably in this case is a wedding feast as well. Uh, One of the reasons for that is there's really two big types of parties that you had in Jewish society. One of them were, and there were a lot of them, there were the religious festivals and there were a whole bunch of them happening all throughout the year. And then there were the personal parties, and the biggest one of them would be a wedding feast. So, and also when we look at the context in a little bit, we'll see that Jesus refers to a, a wedding feast as well. So it's very likely that Jesus, when he's t- talking about this parable, is talking about a wedding feast. And uh, what I like about it, like a lot of things have changed over 2,000 years, right? But weddings still happen, and they look different from culture to culture. And I'm from the Netherlands, and... Um, uh, Weddings in the Netherlands are are quite a bit different than the ones I've experienced here. And one of them is is the number of people you invite. You invite very specifically, often family relatively close to you, some friends, and then you have a party with 35 or 40 people. That's kind of the average size of the weddings there. So, um, when this is kind of interesting too, as a kid, I never went to a wedding because a lot of the time the weddings the kids weren't actually invited to go to. And so I didn't get to see a wedding until. I got married myself, which I always kind of jokingly said I'd been to more funerals by the time I got married than to weddings. It was my first wedding I went to. And and so it was a real cultural experience. One of them was that um, this is about, it's a nine-hour, ten-hour flight at least, if it's a direct flight, Amsterdam, Seattle, and then you still have to drive. So it's an expensive flight. It's a lot of time, so not a lot of my friends were able to make it. So my parents came. My sister came, and my best friend, who was the best man, came. And that was it. That was my part of the party that came to the wedding. On the other hand, of course, uh, Kelly saw the family was able to invite a lot of the people. that were more local, so a lot of invitations went out to family, to friends. And then they did one thing I had never seen before. They just posted something in the newspaper and invited the entire town. <laughs> now, I have to say, they live in a, in a smaller town, about 2,000 people, and uh, about 10% of them showed up. So we had 200 people at my wedding, which was mind-blown to me. It's like, this is a lot of people. Later on, having worked with international students, I've met Indians who have 2,000 or 6,000 people show up to their wedding. Um, So I guess there's cultural differences, right, Uh, from wedding to wedding. But what I'm thinking here in this banquet as well, this this invitation, he, he might have done some personal invitations to his neighbors, but it was an invitation to the community to come to this party. There in personal invitations, but there was probably a larger invitation to everyone there. Now, if you're part of one of our small groups, you might have um, done our inductive Bible study method where you do observations and an interpretation and application. One of the questions on that sheet is about context and asks, what is there happening before this passage? What's happening after this passage? What is some of the cultural context you might know? And it often helps us to get a better idea of what the story is actually about. And the same thing is true here with this parable. So let me go into a little bit of what just happened earlier on in Luke. As you saw, we we started reading in Luke 16, so we have have at least 16 or 15 more verses with context uh, to to quickly cover. So instead of reading that, I'll just give you a quick overview of what's happening. (laughs) At the beginning of Luke 14... We find out it's the Sabbath, which is important to always note because Sabbath is different from the other days in the week. We know that specifically the Pharisees were pretty strict on what you're allowed to do on the the Sabbath and not. The idea came all the way from the Old Testament in which on the Sabbath you were supposed to rest. But eventually, over time, it became this whole list of things you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. So that's a good thing to notice as we start this passage. And then we notice that Jesus gets invited to a dinner... Uh, at the at the ruler of a pharisee's house so this is an important person we also find out that the pharisees are watching jesus and they're not watching jesus as in like hey jesus so great to see you they're watching him as what is he going to do we know it's a sabbath they're watching him and then suddenly out of nowhere there's this person that has dropsy and dropsy is a medical condition in which fluids get stuck in parts of your body where it's not supposed to be Um, you, you want to continue to drink water because you're always thirsty, but the fluid doesn't go to the parts of the body that, that need it. And so there's this man who is ill, and he just suddenly shows up. And, and Jesus then, it says in the text, responds to the Pharisees. That's interesting because the Pharisees haven't said anything. So he's responding to what is actually happening. And what seemingly is happening is that this is a setup. They're watching him, There's certainly a medical, like a person with a medical condition, it's a Sabbath, and they're wondering, is Jesus going to do some work? So he asked them, is it lawful? According to the Old Testament, right? We have God's laws about how to act and what, what you're allowed to do on a Sabbath. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees say nothing. That shows they're on the losing side of this argument. They have no way of rebuttal to what Jesus is saying so he turns to the man he heals him just like that right this is kind of mentioned as like as a side note he heals him of course Jesus heals him and he sends him away and then he turns to the Pharisees again and he says which of you has a son or an ox i find it interesting a son or a, i mean they both have value right but they're they're a little little different but which one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the sabbath and doesn't rescue him Right? If you don't rescue somebody who has fallen in a well, very likely 24 hours later when the Sabbath is over, that person would have died. Who, who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't rescue that person? And the Pharisees, again, are silent. It shows they have no way of winning this debate with Jesus. The context here is a tense party. Not just from what we're l- learning here in this text, but also if you look at the rest of Luke, we have seen at least three other interactions that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. Um, The first one was where his disciples are on the Sabbath eating some grain. They're picking grain from the the fields near them and eating them. And the the Pharisees are saying, see, you're working. (laughs) Another one is also a Sabbath story. uh, When Jesus gets into the synagogue and there's another man who has a medical condition, he has a a withered hand. He can't use his hand. And it says there that the Pharisees are watching to accuse him. Kind of similar situation as here. And then another party uh, the Pharisees get upset that Jesus didn't wash himself, didn't wash his feet. And he says it's way more important to be clean on the inside than on the outside. And then he even calls the Pharisees unmarked graves. You just wonder why the Pharisees even invited Jesus to this party, right? There's a little bit of tense stuff going on here. And again, it says they're watching him. It feels this man with dropsy as a setup. And indirectly, Jesus is pointing out that hypocrisy. And he's saying that, Instead of helping this man, instead of giving this man food, inviting him to your party, what you're doing is you're using him to, to win a debate, to win an argument. And that you shouldn't be doing that. So let's continue on. Um, then Jesus looks around and he notices things. Jesus often notices things. In this case, what he notices is that people are choosing the places of honor at the table. And so he says, if you get invited to a wedding feast don't choose the place of honor because the host might come up to you and say we have a more distinguished guest please stand up and get to the end of the table and everybody will see it and you will feel ashamed instead if you're invited go sit at that place of lesser honor then the host might come up to you and say oh friend you don't have to sit here and while everybody is watching you're being placed in a place of more honor and then he makes what I call a kingdom statement. He takes what he has notices, like about this situation, and he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I think that for our society it's sometimes a little hard to really think in concept of honor and shame. We we don't do that as much, but in Jewish culture and even in Middle Eastern culture today, honor and shame are really big. And what we find out about this story and, and what probably was happening is the host would sit at a certain place at the table, and the closer to the host that you would be sitting, the more honor you got, and then it kind of went down from there, right? The further you set away, and that's why there's certain places in the Bible too where people say, can, uh, 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 can I sit, I think it's one of the disciples who say, can my brother and I sit on the right and the left-hand side of, uh, of, of you in the kingdom of God? I'm not quoting that perfectly, but it's, again, this, this idea, the closer you sit to the person who is important or has invited you, gives you more honor. And that's not something we normally do, right? When Jamie and Heidi might invite us over, they don't say, oh, no, don't sit here. You have to sit, like, one step further away from me because that's, that's where you are in the hierarchy of honor. That, that, that doesn't really happen. But at the same time, if you think about weddings, we still do that a little bit. You have a best man. You have... Uh, bridesmaids, and when there is a, a, a dinner, you see them sitting at a certain place, right? They have pl- specific reserved spots, and the nuclear family will be sitting closer, and some of the friends will be sitting further away. So we still do that a little bit. But still, honor is not something that we, we, we like connect with as much. But I think the underlying issue that the Pharisees having are very similar to what we still having today. We all want to look nice. We all want to be recognized, and others to say, of me, Adri, you did such an excellent job doing this sermon, right? Those are things that we crave. We want other people to tell us that, that, we're, that we're good, that we're doing well, and we're looking for that kind of, um, uh, looking for others to, to, to tell us that. I was thinking of a story like of a negative version of that, like kind of like what, what was happening here with the Pharisees where it's, it's negative, right? They're looking for a place of honor. Um, I'm sor- sorry, Kelly, I'm going to use... Something that happened with, with us, as an example, I t- she didn't come out of it bad at all. Um, but we got invited. So Kelly studied in the Netherlands through an American scholarship program. And uh, a lot of the people that studied through that were doing their PhDs, Kelly was doing her master's, and we got invited, I was the plus one, I wasn't part of the scholarship um, program, but I was the plus one that got invited to the house of the American ambassador in the Netherlands. And that was cool, we got in that house, and the, the, the ambassador and his wife welcomed us, and uh, it was just kind of a cocktail party, and we're walking around. And, and soon I found out that uh, even though everything was pretty and everything was nice, it was great food, um, what was happening was that each of the students would figure out how important the other person was. And certain, certain, suddenly I started fi- figuring out that I was at the bottom of the totem pole, I I was just doing my lowly bachelors, right? Lowly. I mean, I'm not looking down on bachelors at all. I think they're great. But compared to everybody else there, almost everybody was doing a PhD. So when I started to have a conversation with someone, they they told a little bit about what they're doing and they asked what I was doing. And and then they would just turn around and walk away and find somebody else (laughs) that was more worthy of their attention. And I think these places exist. We sometimes run into them and sometimes I think we notice them more when we are the ones without any honor, right? Uh, The people with the honor might might not notice it as much. And so Jesus notices this, turns it into a kingdom parable, and, and says, in the kingdom of God, you need to have an attitude of being humble. So let's move to the last little bit before we get to the parable. Jesus now turns to the person who has invited him, and he says, if you invite someone to a dinner or to a banquet, don't invite your friends, don't invite your family, don't invite your neighbors because they might be able to repay you they're probably from a similar social standing they have some money they might next time say hey come over and join my party instead when you throw a feast invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind because they will not be able to repay you now today right like somebody who is who is blind might have lots of money but in those days, that wasn't the case. If you had any of these things, if you were crippled or lame or blind, you probably were poor as well. You were on the margins of society, and you were not expected to ever be able to repay somebody who threw a party like the ruler of the Pharisee did. And again, Jesus then makes a kingdom statement. He says, For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Don't wait for payment today, here in the now, but if you do that, you will be repaid at the resurrection at the end. So again, Jesus notices, doesn't necessarily say in the text time he notices, but he notices something, and that is that the people who are invited are all of a similar social standing. And he says, instead of all those people that you have invited here, invite the person you invited first as a setup, the guy with dropsy. That is a person who can't invite you, or cannot repay you. Invite that person, because then you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus says our motivation should be to serve. Instead, Like the, the, the man with dropsy came there as a setup, while they could have also just had him invited as a real guest and given him honor and given him food. <laughs> so now we're getting... I'll, I'll do a quick context summary, and then we'll go into the, 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 the parable for sure. So we find out here that the parable is told in a tense environment, There is a big contrast between the haves, in this case the Pharisees and their guests, and the have-nots, which is the men with dropsy and the examples of the poor and the the blind, the the, the crippled and lame. And then there's another thing. If you're part of one of our small groups, I said one of the things we do is observations. And one of the things you often want to look for is repetition, because whenever repetition happens in the Bible, the author is trying to make a statement. He's trying to say, this is important. The word number one word that is being repeated is the word invitation. Jesus gives advice of how to behave when invited and he, he says how you should invite people. And then we get just before, and I, I on purpose didn't read that when we were reading the parable. We just, I just read the parable. But just before the parable, there is somebody who agrees with Jesus. He's like, yeah, Jesus, go. This is awesome. And he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus could have said, yes, you're right, but he doesn't say that. Not because he's not right, but because he wants to make a different point. And then he tells the story of a master who uh, is preparing a banquet, and he invites many people. And when the hour comes, he sent out his servant, and he says to all these people that are invited, come to the banquet, it is ready. But all of them started making excuses. And then we get three examples of what kind of excuses they have. The first one said, I just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. The second one says, oh, I also bought something. 5 yoke of oxen. I have to really go try them out. Please excuse me. The last one says, I just got married. Sorry. So the f- the, 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 uh, the servant comes back to the master and reports all these things, and the master gets angry. And you might at this point expect that the master is going to do something bad to all these people that he invited, but he doesn't. He says, go out into the city, into the streets, and to the lanes, and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And the servant comes back and says, I've done all these things, and your house still isn't full. And he says, go out of the city, into the highway, and, and the hedges. I'm not quite sure what the hedges are. Maybe they're hiding under the hedges. Um, I I think, look in every nook and cranny, right? And and, and bring them in to my house because I desire my house to be full. And I tell you the truth, none of the people that were invited at first will taste of my banquet. So three things I want to highlight. Everyone is invited. What is your motivation? And the heart of God. So everyone's invited. If you do a quick reading of this, you might wonder, why isn't it okay to say no to an invitation? We live in an age where you go on Facebook and you get invited by an event, and what are the options? Like, no, I'm not coming, interested, and yes. Where yes means maybe, interested means no, and and no means I'm a mean person, I don't like you. (laughs) That's kind of how we deal with, with, with invitations nowadays. But this is a different time. Invitations also happen differently because... Nowadays, we say often, like, our event starts at, I don't know, 5 p.m., specifically in Western culture, people might come 10 minutes late, right? 5 p.m. is the party. But these parties weren't as time-oriented. So you get invited, and you would know that in the next two weeks or so, you would be expected to show up. And suddenly the servant would go out and say, okay, we finally got everything ready. We just slaughtered uh, some of our best animals. The food is now ready. Please come. And so... um, people would have had the opportunity already before the servant goes out to say, no, I'm, I'm not able to come, right? If that was a really good reason, you probably early on, when you find out this part is going to happen, you could have said no. But that's not what's happening. It's more like RSVP. They've already said they're going to come, and now at the very last minute, they say, no, I'm not showing up. I was reading an article that was just related to this, and I know that the, 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 the parable is written in, in, in Greek, um, but a lot of the ideas, of course, come out of Uh, out out of hebrew thinking and so i was looking up the word uh, invitation in hebrew and it's really interesting there are two types of words for invitation that are used in the old testament the one first one is hasmana and that's kind of like how invitation is for us it's optional a friend might say hey you want to come over tonight and you say oh i've already been invited by somebody else that that's kind of that optional invitation and then there is zimun which is much firmer it is really you're required to attend. It would be used in a a sentence like, the judge invites you to come to court, right? (laughs) I guess you could still say, no, I'm not going to show up, but it's probably not a very good idea. Every time God invites in the Old Testament, the word zimun is used. When God invites his people, he expects to be taken seriously. And so here these people saying no, first, they had an opportunity to say no earlier, two, this is the master inviting them, would really be dishonorable to the person, to the host who is inviting. And so after that invitation, we see the master extend his invitation. He says, go into the streets and the lanes of the cities, the highways and the hedges, bring the poor, kind of like, strong language, bring them in, and then later on said, says, compel people to come, argue with them, like say, you should really come. If you look at the larger story of God, we see invitation all over, just like in this parable. If we go all the way to the beginning and we look at Genesis, we see God inviting humanity through Adam and Eve to be in charge of all living things to work in the garden, to take care of it. We see a certain moment where Adam is naming all the animals. God is inviting us to be part of what He has created. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see an invitation to become God's people set apart, set aside, to be holy. <clears throat> when Israel, over the, like many centuries, keeps wandering away, God sends judges and prophets constantly with an invitation, come back. And in Acts 1, Jesus um, invites us to be witnesses here, in our neighborhood, near and, and far. And each invitation is an invitation to deepen that relationship with God that was broken early on in Genesis. And it doesn't just happen in the Bible. It happens God is continuously inviting us today, here in the right now. If I look at my own life, I see a variety of invitations that God has given me. And to be honest... Sometimes I said no. But the times I said yes, I saw God do some amazing things. When God invited me to follow him as an international student in Austria, and I said yes, it was an amazing, amazing thing that happened and changed my life. Or even studying in the U.S., which really seemed like an impossibility. I only applied to one program. I had no money to pay for the tuition. I had no idea how I would get a visa. But God, we felt God was inviting us to do this and take one step at a time and asking friends to pray for us. Or the invitation to do ministry and say no to a stable, good paying job. But God changed my heart as I said yes to that invitation. Or even a simple thing like an invitation to speak up here today. Uh, Of course, like you could say Jamie or Heidi or the church invited me to be up here. But part of it is too, is God inviting me to step out of my comfort zone and to take some time to prep out of my week to be up here to share with you. God gives us invitations, large and small, all the time. Sometimes that invitation might be, will you spend some time with me today? I know several of you are taking the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, course, And and part of that is to just set aside a few minutes every day to spend with God. Maybe that's the invitation for you. Or maybe it is to invite that neighbor over for coffee, that neighbor that you never talk to or you don't really like. Invitations can really be small, but God is inviting us daily. And I think it is a question we should be asking daily. God, what are you inviting me in today? So let's shift a little bit and look at the motivation. Because what we see in the parable... Is a master who has, he's throwing a party, a good party, probably a wedding feast, a party of celebration, good food, community, friends. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. This is a good thing. So the question then becomes why would anybody in their right mind say no to an awesome party like this? And if you look at the three excuses, which in, in the parable, they named excuses, but when we look at them, we can also see they're really poor excuses. The first one says, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. That's not how you do business. You don't buy something and then go check it out. You do the other way around. If you want to buy a house, you don't call your real estate an, uh, agent, say, could you please buy me a house or come and check out tomorrow? <laughs> the second one has the same problem. I've bought a five, five yoke of oxen and have to go examine them. It's similar like, again, call the dealership buy me like i just buy a car i'll come check it out tomorrow that's not how you do it these are obvious bad poorly designed excuses they're probably caught in the middle of something and this is the best thing they could come up with and the last one is is the most hilarious of them all he says i have married a wife and therefore i cannot come he could have said my car is green therefore i cannot come or i have a tree in my front yard therefore i cannot come one doesn't seem to have any causal relationship with the other now, there's some, like when you look at commentaries, there's some people that say in your first year of marriage, you, you did, there were certain things you didn't have to do, like fight in the army. Uh, but being invited to a party is, is a different level type of invitation, I would say. So all three of them are really obvious, bad excuses. So the question then becomes, why reject something so wonderful? And initially when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about priorities. All of the time I don't have my priorities straight. Could, could be the reason. They just are thinking about other things. Maybe they're distracted. I often come to church and I'm still thinking about the stuff that happened the day before, the week before, or the stuff I'm going to do next week or whatever is happening after church. But as I talked with some people, I started realizing there's probably a deeper issue going on here. Do they really trust the master? Why would they not trust the master? Because they don't know him. Why wouldn't they know him? Because they don't spend time with him. Obviously here I'm not talking about God and about us. If we don't trust God, we don't know Him, we don't spend time with Him, we don't listen to Him, we are not obedient, then when the invitation comes, we're going to say, no, who are you? I don't trust this is going to be... Maybe it's a creepy party. I'm not coming to your party. (laughs) Their optics are off. Jesus is there in a party with the Pharisees and He's inviting them and they're saying no. Jesus is straight in front of their noses, in front of their eyes, and they're saying no. This summer, I know that some of uh, the Pagels and the Haas went uh, on a mission trip. And one of the things I remember from them sharing up here was a thing they started doing was treasure hunting, asking God, what do you have for me? Like Is there some item or a person that you, you just want to like, give to me as an image? And I'm just going to look where this person is and maybe talk to them. And as Jamie shared that, a lot of us, including me, had this response like, it's a little scary, right? What if Jesus tells me to go up to this person? I really don't want to. I'm just like standing there and like, oh yeah, this is the person that God gave me and I'm seeing this person. I'm like, this is going to be awkward. And they're going to laugh at me. They're going to point at me. Uh, This is so much easier to just ignore this, right? I think that's a lot of the time it, like we're afraid of what God might ask of us because when we completely open ourselves up, it's only maybe God is going to ask me to forgive this person that really hurt me I really don't want to forgive. Or he's going to ask me to talk to that stranger and I'm going to look really bad in front of my friends or even in front of strangers. Or maybe he's going to tell me to go to a super uncomfortable place on the other side of the world. Or worse, he's going to tell me to stay in Pullman, whatever side of that issue you're on, right? We, we, we're, we're afraid of what God is going to tell us. And, and why do we have that fear? Because we're afraid to be embarrassed. We're afraid to be uncomfortable. But I think what it shows is that that we're having a real trust issue. If that is you, then part of the problem is that you need to know God more. To believe that God has the best plan for you, that God has the best party for you, and that you are invited to come. And again, I mentioned the the emotional healthy spirituality earlier today. The first step is to simply spend time with God. If that's not what you're doing, that's probably your step one. Your step two is to say, okay, God... What it says there, before you ask, Lord, my answer is yes. Kind of scary, but then that helps us grow in our faith. So let me come to the last point here that I want to make, and that's the heart of God. If you look at this parable, we see that he says to the servant, Go out so that my house may be filled. The master desires the house to be full, all are invited. Even the Pharisees, and you might say at the end of this parable, uh, it says none of those that were invited first will get a taste of my banquet. But I see that as a consequence. If you're not going to show up, you're not going to get any anything to eat either. It's kind of like this is your own choice, right? They're invited and they're choosing not to come. But everybody is invited, and if you look at the second group, like the first group would have given honor to the master. They're people that. Um, might fit more in in the same social status and and showing up would have been honorable. The people that now show up have no honor. There's nothing in there for the master to invite them and he still desires them to come. Which then for us is if, if I feel I'm not worthy, that's probably true. But God is still inviting me. If you feel like how can God possibly love me? He's still inviting you and he still wants you in his house. And we really shouldn't be surprised because that's what we see all through the Bible. If we look at Abraham, there is this moment where God says that he will give him descendants as numerous as the stars and as the sand on the shores. And then he says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. It was always the intention for God to bring all nations in, into his house. Or if we see Acts 1.8, which I have said before, that uh, Jesus says, like, be my witnesses here, near, and far. This is, the gospel is not just for us here. It's for the near and the far as well. He desires all to come to him. In 1 Timothy two four, it says, God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All are invited. And to underline the diversity of it, we see in Revelation 7:9 a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. All people of all kinds are invited by God into His house. God wants to fill His house. All are invited, and so are you. I got two questions that will come up here in a second that I just like take you to take a moment to reflect upon. The first one is, and I would, I would challenge you to ask you this question every day of this week. What is God inviting you into today or this week? What does he have for you today or this week? And then the second one is, how will you respond? So I'll give you just a couple minutes to think about that.
1: So just as a response, I want to sing this simple little melody. It goes like this.
2: Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Speak what is true. So, would you just lift up your
1: hands and let's uh, invite Jesus to speak to us?
2: Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Let's sing, Here's my work. Here's my work, Lord. Everything I do, Here's my work, Lord. Here's my work, Lord. Let's speak what is true. How about Here's my friends? Here's my friends, Lord Here's my friends, Lord Here's my friends, Lord Speak what is true Here's my life Here's my life, Lord Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. I speak what is true. I speak what is true. speak what is true
1: God we place everything at your feet we ask that you would help open our ears and open our eyes to your invitation with these things to hear and to see what it is you're calling us into To trust you with them. God, make us bold and make us brave.
2: Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart.
1: Jesus, now we ask that you would send us from this place in your grace and in your power to walk in what you've called us to. Lord, we know that as we move forward, we will fail. <clears throat> we won't walk perfectly in the thing that you have revealed to us in this moment. And so we pray that we would be overwhelmed with a sense of your grace and mercy as we do, and that, Jesus, we would get up and not look at our failure or our our... our inability to walk fully in what you call us to do as a, um, as a disqualification, God, but that we would walk in the fullness of your mercy and that we would get back up and that we would try again and that we would step forward in your calling for our lives to love those who are right in front of us, those who are near us and those who are far from us and that we would give you our yes and our yes and our yes and our yes again. And before you ask, God, we want to say that our answer is going to be yes. Jesus, I pray that your mercy and goodness would follow us as we walk from this place, that your Holy Spirit would empower us to do everything that you call us to do, that you would release your gifts, that you would release uh, your power, that you would re- release your hope and mercy in us as we walk in your goodness. So, Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. So go in the grace of the Lord, knowing that Jesus really loves you, and Heidi and I do too, and that we also love pie. and we need you to come eat pie with us so that I don't weigh 300 pounds next week. Amen. Come eat pie.